<laughs> What's happening, weirdos? Welcome to our third video podcast, or our like 900th, if you're listening to this old school, which I hope you are. I, 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 I'll always love my audio friends, but hello to our new video friends. This is Ben Stiller. Uh, he's an actor. <laughs> And a comedian and a director. He also he directed my favorite show of this past year, which was called Severance. Ever heard of it? It's incredible. It's on Apple TV. I absolutely, absolutely recommend that you check that out. And if you're in a need for a laugh, who delivers better than Ben Stiller? Check out anything. Why am I plugging Ben Stiller? He'll be fine. People are, we're glad he's, he did us a favor. <laughs> so we're glad that Ben finally came in to sit down and chat. Uh, we really hope you love it. Check it out. Why am I being so weird today? We really hope you love it. Check it out. This episode is brought to us by our friends at PYM Choose. PYM, prepare your mind. They are choose that help you manage feelings of stress, anxiety, and overwhelm. Good news. There's something here to help. It's wonderful when you're feeling worried, stressed out, or as Val and I like to say, you have a bee in your belly. Just chew two of these delicious, naturally flavored, no sugar added chews, and in minutes, for real, minutes, you start to feel more centered, calm, and in control. When I first tried them, it worked so well for both me and for Valerie that I ordered subscriptions for both my mom and my brother. Just so happy that their anxiety and stress have a natural, non-addictive, non-psychoactive solution. I like taking it at the start of my day when I'm uh, sitting down to answer emails or something to ease me into the work that I have to undertake. And I like to take it sometimes at the end of the day when I want to wind down and relax away the stress of the day. How does it work? PYM chews are comprised of proven amino acid complexes and adaptogens that help support your brain and your body's ability to organically support your ability, your body-based ability to manage and tolerate stress anxiety, and overwhelm. I also take their Mood Magnesium at night, which helps me sleep and unwind. It includes three magnesiums with the most evidence to support their effects on stress and sleep. It's very effective in helping me fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up feeling rested. The best part is a percentage of their profits, 1%, goes towards mental health nonprofits, including the one Bring change to mind. So help your body and your mind fight off stress and overwhelm and sleep more deeply with PYM. Go to youcanpym.com slash weird and use promo code weird for 15% off. That's you can, like Y-O-U-C-A-N, pym.com slash weird. Use promo code weird for 15% off. Support your brain, support your mind, support your stress, your anxiety, your overwhelm, and sleep better and get 15% off and support the show. This episode is brought to us by our friends at Element, L-M-N-T. My favorite part of my morning routine is drinking a big glass of water with Element inside. Not only does it make it taste incredible, I love their watermelon salt flavor the best. I love their chocolate salt flavor at night, uh, which I drink hot as also my second favorite, maybe tied for first. What is it? It's replacing the water that you lose throughout the day through ordinary movement, through exercise, for me, through sauna, uh, through just being alive and sweating here in the summer. It's replacing that, but it's also replacing your electrolytes. You need to replace electrolytes to prevent muscle cramps, headaches, and energy dips. And getting that sodium, that potassium, and that magnesium in your body, in your blood, first thing, helps 
jumpstart your day, helps with brain cognition, helps neural connectivity, helps energy. It gets me ready to go. I've given it to so many friends that say they drank an orange salt after they went on a run and it basically floods your body with everything you just lost and replaces it and then some and you feel fantastic. Element has become a huge part of my wellness program. I've given it to so many friends. I love the taste of it. It makes drinking water a pleasure and provides the optimum ratios of those elements of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, which is so hard to get into your diet for health, performance, energy, and mental function. It tastes incredible. I also notice when I drink one at night, I don't get up to pee. Something about the sodium in there gives the water something to work with instead of waking me up to pee, which is incredible. Makes me feel fantastic before a workout, carrying me through the workout, or sometimes I drink it after my workout to replace what just came out, which is awesome. Element is a huge game changer. So many people that I follow and love online were talking about it, so I'm so glad I gave it a try. I think you got to get it in your routine as well. And if Element doesn't exceed your expectations, they have a no questions asked refund policy. You don't even have to send it back. So support your body, support this show. Go to drinklmnt.com slash weird, and you will get a free sample pack with any purchase, which is awesome because you can hone in and find your favorite flavor. They even have a spicy one, which I really enjoy. Go to drinklmnt.com t.com slash weird support your body support your mind and support the show get into it i was venting i watched uh press with you if it's okay we're recording now if that's all right yes it's, it's, i like that yes it's it's not a trap i just don't like wkbbl i'm sitting here with the man zoolander himself it's it's, it's not it's not that way um and i should Ugh. say up top i told your your fine people that it's not a gotcha show. You end up saying something you don't want it in. We, we take it out. This is something we, we build together. Sweet. And, Thank you. Thank and you. you're welcome and, and safe. And you'll have you know a good week uh, to think about. If you're like me, you'll wake up at 2 a.m. and replay moments. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> I just do that in life anyway. I do, too. I do, too. Yes. And, and it's not recorded. Since I got, I stopped going on social, uh, I don't go on social media. I have the accounts. What's wrong with you? Dude, I mean, well, I saw you found the artist for the Severance opening on Instagram, which is yeah, such that's good. True. It's first of all, the music is incredible, and the opening. I don't think I skipped it once. And is that a fine compliment to that artist? I mean, like they yeah, they really yeah. nailed it. Yeah, and that is true. I saw him on Instagram, but since then, I got off of Instagram. Okay, so, so you're that on is the one. That's the one social media that I'm not on. I'm on, I'm still on Twitter, but I, the Instagram I decided to quit. But before that, I I just stumbled upon Extra Weg. That's uh, Oliver Lata, the artist. That's his name on Instagram, and I was just blown away by his weird animations and yeah. really cool stuff. And and it just sort of clicked like, oh, this would be cool for the show. Yeah, well, that's so. When I got got off, you know, we we post. We post, but I, mm -hmm. I can't go right. on. And then when I heard that you found that guy on Instagram, I was like, am I being an idiot? Am I like locking myself off from how art is consumed? You know what I'm saying? Like, am I sure? Am yeah. I making myself I mean, in some way? I don't mean. I don't think, I don't think you are. Okay, good. I honestly don't think you are. <laughs> There's too many other pitfalls, you know, that you get caught up in. Like for every one extra leg, there's like 40 or 50, you know, accounts that you shouldn't be looking at that are start you thinking about things like for me just like in my life i'm yes. like wait a minute what's that guy doing you don't need this 
I should be doing that. I got yeah. forwarded something. I'm doing a TV show right now, and uh, and I love doing it. And I got forwarded an article that had nothing to do with the TV show, but so I read it. It, was, it pertained to something, but not it directly. But then in the article, it was like uh, the show, which is on the bubble for renewal, and I was like, on the bubble, like I, like I don't it's need, awful. I didn't need it, I didn't need it. I'm, yeah. We're like. Here, let me no, no, it it's really, yeah, you get bombarded with just things that in pieces of news and information and events that just can totally spin your day into a yes. whole different direction, for sure. We talk about um, this all yeah. the time. We're so susceptible to priming. Have you heard of priming? No, what's that? Pri- priming is literally, we're priming one another right now. If I say kindness, if I say patience, if I say silliness, which might serve this podcast, um, right. you're more likely to be those things. This is why advertising works. And there are all these great examples where they, they test how quickly someone walks through a hallway after having heard the word rapid or quick or swift or saw the really? preview for Sonic the Hedgehog. They walk oh faster. My God. Ben, here's a better one. I'm, I'm going to make your day better because these studies changed my life. You get on an elevator. You're, you're participating. You, Ben, are participating in a study. You get in an elevator. Someone hands you a cup of coffee because they have to tie their shoe. They go, can you hold this? You hold it. Later, after the study, which has nothing to do with anything, it's a fake study, it's a ruse, they ask you, what, describe the man who handed you the coffee, right? Ben, if the coffee was cold, people say he was cold. If it was hot, people say the person was hot. This is the world we're living in. So one comment... Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a whoa, minute. Whoa, Wait a minute. Whoa, Let's whoa, go back whoa, a second. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Somebody comes up to you or me yep. and asks if we want to be a part of a study, yeah. first of all. Yeah. But it's a fake study. But it's actually a real study. All the studies are fake. All the good ones. All the good ones, the study is bullshit. You get in there and but they're like, which one's a circle? And you think you do good. <laughs> but it's a real study about priming. That's what it's called? Yeah, priming. priming. So, so somebody's doing a study on priming, but they tell you they're doing a fake study on something else, which seems ethically already, it's like a little bit weird. All me. of science, Ben. All of science <laughs> is like covert who's, who's and suspicious. Yes, because they know, because human, like, you know, you read those studies, this actually kind of ties into severance, which by the way, I want to say, I think it's the best show of the past 10 years. I really mean that. Oh, jeez. It's, it's a Thanks, man. Well, I I, it's a I all credit to Dan Erickson, who's we'll edit indica- this out. We're going to edit yeah. this out. Okay. Dan, Dan Erickson, <laughs> uh, go go to living hell. All uh, credit to me. <laughs> <laughs> he edited out. Yeah, the, the clock is jumping time in the background. Uh, to me and Stiller. No, no, no. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, fuck. I'm a little. Oh, you're f- talking about how this relate these studies related to severance somehow. A little bit. Uh, it doesn't matter. I, I but can I just ask you while you're thinking yeah, about it? Because like yeah. the, the whole no, thing to me. Okay, but the whole thing to me with the study about the per- first of all the hot and cold thing is like somebody's hot. Like you thought the person was hot, good looking, or just hot, like no, warm. Warm. I said like like a like, warm person, like a, like somebody warm. you liked. Got it. That's well, you- so weird. You and now, are you saying people in life are doing this now, like intentionally, like in business meetings, people are doing are trying to like manipulate. Like well, it's, a, it's a, method, a methodology that people have to try to if, get people to do things. If you're smart, you are. I, I would say, right, uh, right. Door door to door salesman. I remember reading this somewhere. When you open the door, they would start nodding their head yes, and it and that was a, <laughs> a micro prime. It was a way to prime. Uh, you know, th- this podcast is a right. lot of priming. A lot of times, I'll. 
And it's not by design. It's just I noticed when I would share my feelings, the guests would share their feelings, and that's that's intentional because of- you're you're kind of interviewing too. So you want to you know you foster the conversation and take it in a certain direction, right? Sure. I mean, I feel like people do that sometimes consciously and also subconsciously just in life for sure. Now, now I'm thinking about that in my own life, you know, when yeah. I'm talking to somebody, when I want to, not like for some sort of malevolent reason or, you know, to have some sort of an agenda of any type, um, but just sort of like when you're trying to connect with somebody, right. And finding common ground I who you don't know, maybe. I think that's huge. And what right. we're doing, I feel like, and I'd love to know what you feel like so much of my life as a sensitive person is sending out a uh, little sonar. It's almost like I'm blind and like a dolphin or, a, or some animal like that. that I send out sonar. And if you ping it back, that's how I'm sensing who's safe. Who, not only who's safe, sure. who might yeah. I enjoy. So you might send out something self-deprecating and, and if somebody sends it back your way. or I, I have to imagine you, you do that. Do you relate to that idea of like looking for yeah. like? I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm literally thinking like when i say hi to somebody yeah <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean just when you say hi to somebody you don't know you're like all your sensors are out and you're just like okay how's this person going to relate to my hi yes are they going to be nice are they going to be straight are they going to be cold are they going to be you know are they going to like i can you can get us or maybe i'm assuming or, or maybe assuming too much about a person i don't know but like from just the high how they respond to that you get uh, immediately you you judge them on a certain number of levels right completely agree. right nice guy uh, strict guy serious guy you know uh all that and Malcolm Gladwell's book, Talking to Strangers, Malcolm did the pod not long ago, and he said the number one thing we should remember from that book is we're almost always wrong with our first impressions. I, I found that right. to be life-changing. Yet, yet we think we're right. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's something hopefully you learn as you go along in life, that you definitely kind of put up your defenses sometimes and will assume the worst or assume something from a sort of a self-preservation standpoint. Yeah. and. And definitely you're proven wrong a lot. Uh, I know there are so many people who I've had that experience with. Um, I've also found, if we're talking about that, that when I allow myself to drop my defenses preemptively, if I remind myself, hey, you know, this person is having the same reaction that I'm having to them when I say hi Mm. or when they say hi. So when I am aware of that and can go, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be more open. That makes a huge difference. I was just talking to Val about, that's my wife about this, which is like when you're a kid, you go on a date and you think you're nervous. When you're a grown up, you go on a date and you realize you're both, you're both nervous. You know what I mean? Right. Right. What lunatic, nobody I would want to date would be just like fine and comfortable on a first date. Like you have to be a little bit uncomfortable. And that's yeah, so but nice. that's also, and that's just in life, just the, just in life and encountering new human beings. And, you know, when you live somewhere like New York, where people are just, you know, have their defense shields up all the time and there's just, you never know what's going to happen on the street, you know? And yeah, like, cause yeah. it always could be like, oh, that could just be a crazy person, you know, or mm-hmm. somebody's going to attack me or it's, you know, uh, someone's wrapped up in some life issue. And I mean, I, <laughs> It's just, it, it happens all the time where you just like, you're, there, there's, it's almost like sensory overload. So you naturally, you know, go to a place where you sort of, I mean, it's also different when you're recognizable in life too. I think, I yeah. think we put up our, 
are sort of, uh, you know, a, a, some sort of a protective shield when you're walking through life just to, cause you just don't know how people are going to react to you also, you know? Yeah. Well, I have to think it, it's, uh, at your level, it must, it must be simultaneously sort of safer. You know what I mean? Like there's times when it feels kind of nice. Like I, I love David Letterman. I've said this a million times, but he said he liked being famous because it made the whole world like a small town. I have to imagine mm. there's exceptions to that. And then there's times when he was, it makes it yeah. less safe. He was from right? he was from a small town, wasn't he? Yeah, and and I've had that. I've I've had that thing. You know, we're not supposed to talk about these things. It's gauche or whatever. But like, I've had situations where I go to a party and I notice like there's a there's a chance there might be a couple comedy fans and they'll want to talk to me, and that actually makes me feel less anxious. Like, I'll, and it does happen. Like somebody comes up and wants to talk about comedy and I'm like, okay, I can do this. And then I have, I've had the opposite experience where you go in and you're like, this is the worst. I hate this. I, I, that was actually, I don't have a lot of pre-planned questions for you, but I, I was curious, how do you find being a public person? Like, do you enjoy it's it? A, Letterman style it's so a good question. I mean, it is no, because the first thing I thought when you said that about the party, I was, I was going to say like, I have the exact opposite reaction, which I just don't, I I I do like parties, the idea of parties, and I like I'm, I am a social person, but I also at the same time so I like funny. the idea of parties. I do of people getting to and the the idea of fun and it's fun and people are letting loose and having a good time and yes. music and um. <laughs> you are, can I just interrupt? I'm sorry. We're yeah. so similar. I have a bit I do on stage where I go, I went to my first party after the quarantine, and it sounds so fun. The word itself is fun. Party! It's a party! And then you get there, and you realize you're just improvising conversations, just yelling, where are you from? And and, and I, one more. I'm sorry I'm talking too much, but Gary Shandling oh. said to Seinfeld, he said, when will I be comfortable at a party? And Seinfeld said, Gary, when you're comfortable at a party, you'll, you won't be funny anymore. So I just want <laughs> you to feel in good company. You, you were saying. Yeah, parties. it's exactly what a party is, though. It's like going up to strangers and like having to start fresh. Yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of the time, you know, it is a lot of the time if you are a recognizable person and you're going to a party in New York or L.A., you know, the chances are people know who I am. Uh it's, you know, I don't know. It's like a little bit of luck of the draw. I But I do like it when it works out. You know yeah. what I mean? Like well, when I meet somebody who I like yeah. and we get into a conversation and it's fun. But there's that thing of like, okay, what, you know, okay, we're going to, here we go. You know, I always feel that with my wife, we go into a party, like, here we go. Let's, you know, figure it out. And um, I, I, was t I was saying this to Elizabeth before you came on the call. I was like, you seem, this is what draws me to you, actually, not just as an actor, but a as a person, is you seem sort of, you're not like a juiced up Hollywood. You're not like surfing on the wave of stillerness, like just like rocking it out. And when I watched you, look, I'm not, this is not shot fired, but when I watched you on Howard Stern, I was so, I was like uncomfortable for you because Howard, Howard's a provoc provocateur. You know, he's like, right. he's like, why, why, why you do Greenberg? Greenberg, no money. Why you do that for no money? And like, <laughs> you haven't even sat down yet, but you, you haven't <laughs> sat down. And he's like, I don't understand. You do Night at the Museum. I understand that's a franchise. That's a franchise. Why? But then you, you do a movie like Greenberg. What's the cash for that? What's the cash? And like, Robin's also trying to ask you what the cash is. And I'm just like, you... In a very human way, I mean, this is a compliment. You're not slick. You're not like, wow, 
Howard, you know, one of the, one for me, one for them. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you seem like a regular guy. I tried guy. to do that. I tried to be that guy. <laughs> no, no. The one for me, one for them didn't work out for me. I, I've tried. That. No, I like the idea of that. That's an old, but I feel like Howard, it's gotten much better with Howard. I, he's, he's That was an old interview. Like, old yeah, interview. but he like, you know, his thing is, I mean, I literally heard him talk, like his thing is, he'll talk about movies. Like, I want to see good looking people. Don't show me ugly. You know, another word for a character actor is ugly person. You know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's his thing. He just yeah, likes to yeah. you know, relate to people on that level, which is yeah. great. And it it's, but it's and but I yes I definitely had that feeling of like yeah you know how am I going to explain my you know my career or my life to anybody and you know I don't feel comfortable yeah I'm not like a guy who just sort of like embraces the like this is my life and let's live it to the fullest every right, moment right but yet I do feel that inside I feel that you know like I, an appreciation of my life and being alive and you know, all, all the things that I have in my life and relationships and, and uh, being able to live in a way that's really comfortable. Like, so really, I'm very, you know, aware of that. But I'm also not the guy who's like, hey, you know, let's make the most of this moment right now. What do you want to do when I meet somebody? Uh, <laughs> or that gets adrenalized and juiced up at the mention of your career and just like, ah, like, just kind of right. Jackson Pollock's all these bright colors. You, you, you seem... You remind me. I admire people. I admire people who do that, though. I admire people who can just live without any sort of sense of like, uh, you know, self criticism within what they are, and can be comfortable in their own skin like that. I actually think that's a great thing. Yeah. Well, then here's this sounds like a Charlie Rose, but really, how do you think you'd be as good at playing? Greenberg's one of my favorite movies. Uh, I love Greenberg and Brad Status. These are a lot, like a lot of real people, real human beings, you know what I mean, that are uncomfortable, mm-hmm. would you be as capable of getting on their level if you didn't feel it so much? It seems like not that big of a step, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess both of those characters are, I mean, very specific characters, uh, especially with Greenberg, I think it was a specific character that Noah was writing, and I was finding my own, the own my the parallels in my own life to it mm. which were there but you know that's I, I feel like almost it becomes more than like how what's how can I show this as honestly as possible or try to do that that's you know what I mean if it is yeah. something that I can connect with and uh try to somehow uh you know allow allow that to come out which is sometimes you know a little bit more uncomfortable if it is something that's very close to you too you know yeah this, I, I, I heard what you're saying. That yeah sound. I heard my own yeah, and it sounded like I was like yeah. I was thinking about my next question. I, I really did hear you. <laughs> and as you were saying it, I yeah, was like, but. yeah, yeah. But why do you do Greenberg for no money? I, I don't understand. You do it for no money. No <laughs> That's money. what you really want to know. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I, I'm really jealous of the freedom of that. But that's question. just like. You know what? Like I did it because I I love doing oh, no. what I do. I'm not asking. I am not. No. I love being Ben Stiller. I. <laughs> there you go. You've done it. You've done I it. I do. I I would love to see. That's like adaptation where Charlie Kaufman becomes Donald. I think it's Donald. Right. His brother. By the end, right. <laughs> like push, push in the bush, bush. Um, right. <laughs> it's all like I, I, I've interviewed some poets on this show and, and I always remember that th- they talk about like asking for another poem is, is almost asking for another heartbreak. It's like, so I'm wondering another way to phrase what we're talking about is, 
are you almost grateful, as I am, in a way, for your access to those feelings of overwhelmed or, or anxiety or sadness or fear or whatever it might be? Because when you... My brother's like, I love my brother. He's, he, we're, we're both weird guys, right? And we watch Greenberg and we see some of ourselves and that helps us, that like ministers to us, right? So are you grateful for your access? Like, are you grateful for all of these weird, maybe even uncomfortable feelings because they make you as a, a better director, better writer? Like what I'm saying is you wouldn't trade it to be like a, maybe like a simpler but happier person. Would you keep in this path? <laughs> I'm assuming a lot with this question. I would, I think, I think I might trade it to be happier. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because I wouldn't know what I was missing, right? I would, I would be happy. (laughs) That Um, is funny. It's, uh, I mean, you know, look, it's, uh, it's who I am. It's part of who I am. I think when you're able to access, uh, elements of yourself that are real, hopefully, when you're acting, then that's a good thing, because hopefully then it's going to somehow connect and be, you know, be uh, some relatable. And, but, you know, I don't always, it's not like every role that I uh, get or think about, I want to be that, but yet, because sometimes I feel like then you can sort of like be dwelling in the same stuff that you've done before too. So there are elements of that, you know, maybe in a role, but uh, it's not what I, you know, honestly, I haven't acted for a few years uh, because I've been trying to figure out what, what I want to do as an actor, what's, you know, and it hasn't been uh, as also I've been directing more and enjoying that, but it's a good question though, you know, because I think, the reason I did Greenberg is because I love Noah Bombeck's writing and him as a director. And it was, it was, just, it was just, you know, somebody I wanted to work with and same thing with Mike, you know, on Mike White. And um, so that's, that's, you know, and, and they have a clear sense of that character and they see something that I can bring to it and I can connect with it. And then, you know, that's, that's the collaboration. And so I get, I get something out of it, but it's not something that I'm, I, I think if I was happy and simple, <laughs> sure. You know, life would be be less complicated well, and is, painful. That's exactly. But by the way, I'm not ahead. complaining. I'm not complaining. But life is like for all of us is kind of crazy, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Pardon the interruption, weirdos. This episode is sponsored by our friends at Blue Chew. Guys, confidence can take you far in life. It can also help in the boudoir. That's bedroom, especially when it comes time to step up to the plate. And that's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days yeah the best part it's all done online so no visits to the doctor no awkward conversations and no waiting in line at the pharmacy blue choose tablets are made in the usa are prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package with blue chew men everywhere are excited to see the postman because when your package has arrived your package has arrived deal with it deal with that joke 
I love it. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. And we've got a special deal for weirdos. Try Blue Chew free when you use promo code WEIRD at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code WEIRD to receive your first month free? Free! Visit bluechew.com for more details and safety information that is important. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast. Boom. Pardon the interruption, folks. This episode is brought to us by our friends at Babbel. Listen, for most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. I'm sorry, Senora Centers. I'm sorry, Senora Comanets. It wasn't very fun. And it wasn't very effective. Now, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time and want to expand your mind, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for the lesson plans, but Babbel's lessons were created by 100 human language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German, plus Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and your accent. There's so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, video stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So you got nothing to lose. Get into it. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash weirdo. That's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash weirdo for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds because one, I would like to see people suffering less, but then I'm the other part of my mind, including you, I mean, having just mm-hmm. like a more, a, I'm assuming you're like me, having just an easier access to just like a carefree, you know, whistling in the meadow, <laughs> a bird lands right. on you, this sort of person. I am the guy that's going like, I'm so grateful that, that Ben is struggling with the same, with a lot of the same issues that a lot of us are struggling with, because you make it into art that, and to bring it to severance, I don't just mean as an actor, you can't direct severance if you don't know what it feels like to be isolated from yourself. You know, like, or, or, or what it feels like to be lonely. I mean, that, that, that whole show felt like a, like a study in like a weird, everyone's telling me everything's okay, but nothing's okay sort of feeling. And if you didn't know what that felt like, I don't think you could do it. I don't think you could bring those performances out. You certainly get that look going. So, so I'm saying like, thank God. Isn't that the point of life? We're suffering and we turn it into something good. Isn't that like one of the beautiful things of life? Yes. I think that, you know, you have to take your own experience and somehow, especially as a director, figure out how you connect. If you're not writing the material yourself, figure out how you connect with this material and how you can, can become part of it. And, mm-hmm. you know, what you find in it that connects with yourself. And I've, I've actually worked on that 
honestly, over the last few years, because I think as an actor, it's more obvious when you do it. It's like, okay, I got to figure out how to play this part. As a director, you have to figure out how to connect with the material and put as much of yourself into it as possible. Mm. And um, I think, uh, yeah, that those, but you know, a lot of that stuff also is just sort of subconscious stuff that just exists anyway. And you just like relate to a feeling or an image or, you know, uh, and, you know, just, it's simple sometimes. It's just mm. simple sometimes, you know, like, okay, the scene says, you know, he's sitting alone in his apartment watching television and you've just set up the camera for in a you know, way that sort of like feels like, okay, this is what that feels like. And it, and all of a sudden, you know, like Adam Scott sitting there watching TV by himself and that's just there, you know, he's mm. there in the moment. It's just happening. And I'm like, I'm feeling like, okay, this, yeah, I, I know what this is and this is what it is. You know, it's just sort of like, you know, happening. Get out of the way. Okay, so. Getting out of the way a little. Yeah, for sure. Not like feeling like you have to make any statement about it, you know. I won't tell the story because I've told, I like telling stories where I'm embarrassed because they're funny, but I won't tell the full story. But I was, I, I met Paul Thomas Anderson at uh, Largo and I, I'm obsessed with Paul Thomas Anderson. He's my favorite director. And I, we almost got in a debate. I was like, how could that have been an accident? He was telling me something in the movie was an accident, was something that they just got out of the way and let happen. And now reading more and more about his films, I'm like, so much of it, almost like a dream, was about a feeling. Like, like you're saying, like the perfect symmetry of the Lumen office, right? Kind of craning up on, as Adam's walking in in the pilot, feels... It feels right. You know what I mean? But like you probably right. didn't sit around going like, it feels right because it looks like a skull and he's so small <laughs> and like the scale, it's a predator angle. It's a predator yeah. angle. So there's like a hawk <laughs> makes you think that there's a hawk coming to get him. Like you don't have to no, do that. No, I mean, no. I mean, honestly, I can tell you, yeah, like how that came about. I didn't think of any of those things. And I, and I think you're, <laughs> um, I, but I think you're right when, you know, the thing that I love about Paul Thomas Anderson's movies is that they don't, they they don't have a genre. They you know he refuses to work in a genre, and he it just it's just the story, and and it's the movie, and it's the feelings, and the you know the images, and it's just what it is. You know, like even if he in his head maybe has a genre that he's thinking of or he's influenced by or whatever, but he's not worrying about that. And to me, then when you do that, then you don't have to worry about satisfying any specific um, need of the audience or, you know, like if it's a comedy, quote unquote, which I love comedies and done a lot of comedies, but <laughs> there's something really freeing about working outside of the quote unquote comedy genre, because then you can do a lot of comedy if you want, and it's all bonus and people enjoy it, but they're not there going, when am I going to laugh again? When am I going to laugh again? Right. And I think that sort of pervades the whole sort of idea of the movies or television shows that hopefully can just be their own thing. And, you know, I think that's something that's great that's happening lately. Uh, it doesn't happen. In, I think there are a few filmmakers who are doing it like Paul Thomas Anderson, maybe Noah too, or, you know, in movies where they just do their thing. And, yeah. and it's, and but, it, but movies right now are much more genre oriented, but television, I think is like, there's a lot of room to kind of just totally. be your own thing. Yeah. And, and I'm obsessed with that. It's funny when I got a chance to make a show, the first thing I did was was sort of what you what you did. I probably learned it from guys like you, guys like uh, Jim Carrey, and I was like, I would like, even though I hadn't been doing it for as nearly as long. My first break, I was like, well, second break, 
I was like, I want to do what they call a, a dramedy, which really to me is like, I don't, I've heard you say that comedy is so easily judged. It's like, I'm either laughing or I'm not every 10 seconds. But like, there's not a lot of leeway or freedom or, or room to move in that, in that restraint. Is that what we're saying? Or are we agreeing? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's more like even like an audience expectation or the way a show is is marketed, you know, just something as simple as that. It's like, you know, like the new comedy, you know, or, you know, people, it's just people show up to a movie and, you know, they're told what it is by the marketing and they're primed. Um, they're primed. You know, they're they're back. primed. They are. Exactly. You're primed. They're overtly in. primed. Yeah. One of my favorite movie going experiences was watching From Dusk Till Dawn and I didn't know anything about it. So have you seen that movie? Like, yeah. halfway in it turns into a vampire movie and i, right, I was like, right, right. this is the best way to see this movie like what a treat i think i had it's the kind, yeah. yeah go ahead it's what no i was gonna say it's kind of the best way to see any movie you yeah. know that's really i want, I want you... to see everything everywhere all at once or whatever and i know nothing about it and i was like great uh, that, that's that's the way to do it yeah i felt that way about worst person in the world too like that one that came mm-hmm. out I, I didn't i just heard it was good but i didn't know anything about it and it was great and, so so rare. We kind of want to know if we're wasting our time, right? Yeah. Did you see that movie? I thought that was really good. I haven't yet. I, I believe, well, it's because we have a three-year-old. We have, I have a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter, so like oh, wow. are, And then you judge movies much harder. I know you have a daughter. Uh, you have two kids, right? And yes. Once you're getting still technically kids, but my daughter's 20 and my son's going to be 17. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, they're still, yeah. you're still dad. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm going to call so. it. I'm going to call right. it. <laughs> Your son just rides by on a Segway smoking a cigar. (laughs) Oh, I think he actually looks okay. I don't think he needs you anymore. When I was 17, not to put pressure on you, that's when I really started getting interested in my father. You know what I mean? It's like mom, 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 mom. And then like right around when you're, I guess, you know, becoming a man, you go like, oh, maybe dad isn't just... As Joseph Campbell said, the hairy helper. Maybe he's. I can learn. Make it, maybe I can make an alliance with him. That's that's right around that age. Yeah, yeah. I have a pretty good relationship with my son right now, um, and and my daughter too. But but you know, it's. Uh, I don't know, man. I feel like the last few years have been so weird. They've changed everything in terms of in, like a lot of positive things came out of it in our family, um, but just like being able to spend time with my kids. But mm. yeah, I don't know. I feel like my son, my son, most of his high school career has been in during the pandemic, you know, that's, that's, that's rough. So yeah, like there's a very, like, I can't go like, Oh, when I was 16, you know, I was doing this. It doesn't correlate at all to what his 16 year old experience has been. Cause it's, it's complete. Like I was, you know, literally I was not living in a pandemic. I was out doing yeah, yeah. stuff with my friends. My parents were, leaving us alone out of town. And, you know, so, um, yeah, which is good though, too, because I think sort of like with kids, you have to, I, I don't know if you ever had had this thought, but like when you had kids, you had this image in your head of what you thought it would be to be a parent and what you, like what you imagined your kids would be like. Have, mm. Did you ever think about that? Like, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like this sort of idea, this is what my son will be like. And, um, and he's not, he's nothing like that, which is great. He's just like, he's so his own person. So it's, it's sort of like forced me to sort of abandon any ideas of what I thought it would be to be a dad or, you know, uh, some fantasy idea of what well, they, that's another kids would be like. psychological study that I took a lot of value out of, which is like, I, the number I think is in the nineties, 90%, 90%, meaning 
it's so much of it is encoded in them, in their genes, in their DNA. And we think it's us. Somebody gave me the image of, of Gardner, like maybe that's a trope at this point. I don't know. But like parents as Gardner, like you're there to take weeds out when you can. You're there to give sunshine and water. And not, mm. not to force this in, one of the things, I was just talking to Dimitri Martin about this, and I'd love to hear you comment, is he's like, you think you're just going to be assigned some kid, but like it's you, like it's another you in all these ways. <laughs> and in, in Francis Ha, one of my favorite No movies, I'd love to talk to him about it because it seems like he set up a whole dinner party for one three-second shot. <laughs> Maybe they mm-hmm. multi-purposed it. They had to have. Mm-hmm. But it cuts to her at a dinner, uh, dinner table, and she's going, people love their baby, but it's you. That's you. Like, oh, big deal. You love your baby. It's just you. And, and it cuts away. But it shows like she's having like a tone deaf moment with a bunch of parents. Right, right, right. <laughs> I love, yeah, what, because... what, what does that make you think? Go ahead. <laughs> no, it just makes me think any parent is going to be, not, you know, is not going to sympathize with that because yeah. it's right. Because yes. you love your kids so much. Yes. Um, yes. But, you know, that I almost feel like it's a, almost a secondary thought where you do have to step back and go, wait, this is very much, you know, my genes. And uh, I, I'm constantly trying to figure that out with my kids. And like, uh, I'm constantly sort of like going, oh, yeah, that's like me. That's not like me. Because because I do feel like they're both very, very different from each other, too. They're just mm-hmm. like very different people. And there are things in my daughter that I connect with that I can see myself and uh with my son also, but very different too. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that's it's evidence a, to the, to the theory, right? Is If it was you, then they would be the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Let me ask you this. And then thing. there's also my wife who like, you know, they, they're a lot. Uh, so it's 50, 50, right? Right. I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think I won out a little bit extra. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a competitive person. It's like 73. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Cause I really am curious. Uh, my mom was like, this was ridiculous. She was like, put, put Leela in front of the TV and put on your show. And I was like, that means nothing. That means nothing to her. I'm curious at your age, you have a 17 year old kid. That's prime stiller. This is, this is, come on, babe. I'm not saying Zoolander is not for all ages, but I mean, right. Zoolander is yeah. a great, these are great movies. Something I saw, I saw something about Mary around that age. What, what are their feelings? That's a personal question, but I'd love to know, did they give a shit or are they like, uh, who cares? It's dad. We're embarrassed. Well, it's definitely, I mean, first and foremost, I'm just dad. I'm their father, you know, but they obviously know, you know, especially as they've gotten older, they know who I am, what I do, and it affects their lives because they, you know, all of it. Mm-hmm. So they're, it's interesting. Um, I think they both have a pretty healthy relationship with it where it kind of is, you know, there are certain movies that they've connected with. They grew up with the Night at the Museum movies. Oh, wow. You know, because they were the prime audience for that at the ages that they were when we were making them. So they loved those movies because, you know, because they were like 10 and Can I jump in and, and ask, did yeah. they think then maybe it was normal? Like, oh, dad's in a movie. Like, what movie is your dad in? Like, it seems like they don't know that yeah. much about reality. <laughs> right. Well, that's why we moved to New York. <laughs> you know, we were they might have an LA. answer to that. Yeah. My yeah. father's I mean, in uh, Flubber. <laughs> exactly. There's a little bit of a bubble in in that world in LA. At least, the, you know, I, I thought, okay, I grew up in New York and I lived in LA for 20 years. I thought, okay, let's move out of LA so that we, you know, aren't falling into that world where it is sort of like, you know, interacting with a lot of people who are in that same world. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, they, yeah. So, so 
my son recently discovered, I'd say about a year and a half ago, two years ago, just discovered Tropic Thunder. And to my delight, he loves it. Oh, great. And it's like, yeah. And he, he claims to be one of his, you know, top favorite movies. And I, so that makes me happy because <laughs> it's my son. My son likes it. <laughs> yes, you know, like yes. it's sort of like, you know, like I'm like, that makes me probably, you know, as happy as anything. So um, that he, he connects with it, um, you know, but there are other movies that they just haven't seen and they're, they're not like dying to go see right now. And yeah, yeah. that's that's fine. You know, it's interesting, though, as a person, because, you you know, you it makes you look at your own ego sometimes. Sometimes I go, okay, you know, gosh, I wish they, you know, really wish my daughter would want to check out Reality Bites. <laughs> you know, but like, am I like, I don't want to be the guy who's like yep. saying, um, hey, you know, you're 20 and this movie might really, you know, you might really relate to this movie that yes. I directed and acted in. I, um, this is vulnerable, <laughs> but I said to Val when she was pregnant, I was like, what? Because that's when I, I, she was pregnant when we were doing uh, Crashing, the show I did on HBO. And I was like, what are this is I'm I'm almost regretting saying this all before I say it, but I was like, what are the chances when Leela is 16 that I'll be doing something cool? Like I I, I don't like that I'm saying this. <laughs> but the reason I'm saying that embarrassing thought was that Val said, Pete, she's gonna be she's you're her dad. <laughs> like she's not gonna be like like I've gotten oh, I get so yeah. so locked in that my value is something that I create. I create my value myself and I create it out there. So I was like, why would she like me if I wasn't doing something hip? Tell, tell me what you think. I totally identify with that. Mm. I totally, I get it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I uh, yeah, you want to be cool for your kids and, you know, and if you've done things that have been considered cool, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, you know, uh, I hosted the VMAs <laughs> back in 1998. <laughs> and she's like, what's a video? <laughs> exactly. It sort of has the opposite effect telling her that. <laughs> but oh, it is man. that desire for them to like, hey, you know, I've I've had it going on, you know. And I, you, and I have thought about that. Yeah. Have you had like, that moment though that like I, I heard you kind of demonstrated earlier, which is what made me think of it. You're you're their dad though. You're always gonna be there. I mean, it's right. absurd. My dad when I was a kid was like a Greek God, you know what I mean? Like made of marble, you know, I'm not saying like I worshiped his footsteps. I'm just saying he was a huge Jungian right. archetypal. What his words mattered, his actions mattered, a look he'd give me mattered. And I have to right. assume you had that for your dad. So they, they have that for you too. Like it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just the parent child relationship. And, and, the, and I think it's, important to be aware of that and to remind yourself of that because while our own egos want this connection with our kids where it's like they can see us as a cool person ultimately you know what you're what you're saying is the the base relationship is you know being there for them as a parent that's mm. you know beyond anything and so um i have appreciated that through trial and error over the years really with, you know, with both of them in, in seeing uh, where it, you know, like where we connect and, and also what's important to them. And at the end of the day, it's like, I really, at this point, especially as they get older and they're almost on to the next phase of life where they won't be around the house. Um, my daughter's moved out already, but, you know, she comes home uh, every once in a while, but it's that appreciation for just like hanging out and being together and being there for them on whatever level. And it really grows. It's a great thing. I mean, that's what the, you know, and then you just think like, well, I think of my feeling for my parents now, it's just sometimes, you know, we can get in our own heads and not think about that as much, 
But that's the ultimate relationship is just, you know, being there for them. What's up, weirdos? This episode is brought to us by our friends at Magic Spoon. I was just off mic telling Katie, I absolutely love Magic Spoon. So does Val and so does Leela. But as you know, I'm often trying to be healthier, trying to cut out carbs, sugar, and unhealthy food in general. But I realized I basically wasn't eating anything fun or good anymore. Well, enter Magic Spoon, which tastes incredible and is made in a much, much, much healthier way, certainly than those horrible-for-you sugar cereals that we grew up with. But it tastes a lot like them. Boom! They got their variety pack, which is all four flavors, uh, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. It has zero grams of sugar in the pack, 13, 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. And it's only 140 calories a serving. That means it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. It is healthy, yet super delicious. One of the favorite things Val and I like to do is mix the peanut butter flavor with the chocolate flavor. Tastes like a peanut butter cup. Is incredible. I actually had it this morning with Leela. I also often eat it at night when I'm craving something unhealthy. It's a wonderful alternative that you don't have to feel bad about. Go to magicspoon.com slash Pete to grab a variety pack and try it today and show your support of this podcast. And be sure to use our promo code Pete at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. But remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Pete and use the code Pete to save $5 off and show your support of this show. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring You Made It Weird. I'm so happy to hear you say that. I, I find... Do you've been a parent so much longer, so I, I'm always cautious of sounding like I figured something out. But I figured something out in every relationship, and it's really true with my daughter, and she's three. But like she's there for it, is if you can be with them. Like I said when I said, uh, well, well, and I realized I I was kind of Jay Lenoing you. I, I, I say that because Jay Leno would off would give get shit for not listening. Um, why am I taking shots at Jay Leno? It's been 30 years. <laughs> what I'm saying is I feel that my daughter can tell if I'm there with her or not. And from what I understand, feeling like your parents are locked into you, uh, even when it comes to something silly, we were singing a song in the car yesterday. Oh, Mr. Grinch. Um, and I was, you're a mean one. Mr. Grinch and my daughter went, no, Mr. Poop, right? She's, I mean, it's a killer bit. <laughs> And Ben, like, this sounds stupid, but I could almost get emotional. I, I said, oh, oh, you're a mean one, Mr. Poop, and, and redid it. And look, I love my parents, and, and this is not, I love shitting on them, too. This is not me shitting on them. It's much funnier when I shit on them. This is sincere. I just don't remember getting the feeling that I could impact my parents, like, in real time, like, change them. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. Like, I, I, felt, I got the sense <laughs> that they were kind of spinning their own plates if that makes sense and, and, sure. and that's why i'm doing what i'm doing um tell me do you get that feeling when you have moments of presence with your daughter like this is what it's about i that's what i heard like what you were saying and and really this was the number one question i wanted to ask you and i love it because it's baked in with some with some compliments i've always been confused by you because you're you're a handsome 
good looking. I just do synonyms for handsome and it gets uncomfortable. I meant to swap to another one. Keep you're going. Hands- <laughs> <laughs> you're handsome. You're debonair. Okay. Uh, you have a certain joie de vie. Um, no. you're, when, I was, when I was young and I watched Ben Stiller's show, as I did, um, I think one time I met you at a party and I told you how much running from bears killed me, the last of the Mohicans treadmill. Uh, running from bears is still hilarious. Um, but I remember looking at you and I was like, look, there's a lot of comedians, I'm one of them, where you can be like, I, I, get, this, I, I get why that guy de- overdeveloped his sense of humor. What I'm saying, and I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, is good-looking, fit. There's not a lot of fit uh, comedians. And I'm like, what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? Like, why? Why did you? Because for me and a lot of us, it was like, okay, I'm going to protect myself. What What were you developing this sense of humor for? And, and I'd really love you to go as deep or as weird as you want. That's That's kind of the flavor. Wow, that's a good question, man. I mean, I you know, it's not something I've even thought about like where did it come from or the desire for it. Um I think it always came first of all, I just I can't, you know, I have to acknowledge that I grew up in a family of performers, of you know, my parents were yeah. actors and comedians and you know, working all the time and it was just our whole life. So I think that that it came out of trying to figure out how to uh, find myself and like what I was going to do. And I, I don't know, man, it was like, it's definitely been this sort of push pull over the years because I knew when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old that I loved movies and I wanted to be a director. I loved directing and I loved making movies. And then the comedy part of it sort of came in and my parents just being, known and being uh sort of uh they, there always was stuff going on around our house you know there were new year's eve parties and there were you know like rodney dangerfield would show up at our seder and you know like crazy <laughs> stuff where it was just like oh, it was exciting i just got passed yeah. over no respect <laughs> yeah <laughs> this horseradish I mean, is extra bitter for me <laughs> hey yeah <laughs> Sorry. I wanted to see how many Passover Seder uh, yeah. Rodney jokes I could do. <laughs> <laughs> but it was exciting and fun. And I don't know, like, it just was like, maybe it was like a thing, like, I got to figure out how to be a part of this, or I have to, you know, I, I wanted to be a part of it. And we were going up on stage at a young age with my parents, you know, they would bring us up on stage after they do a show or something and like introduce us in the audience or put us on the Mike Douglas show and, you know, like we were out there. So I think in my head, I was like, okay, okay, this is it. I'm going to do this. And the humor part of it, I, I, I mean, you know, I found the people who I thought were funny and I was like, I want to be like that. I want to do that. It takes a little bit of a, I don't know, like you have to have this ambition or something or like sense of yourself. Did you ever feel that? Like a sense of yourself, like I'm, I can do this. I'm funny. Yeah. You, you have to. I think you have to be sensitive, and I also think you have to be uh, almost the opposite of that. Like, believe you have to believe that what you say should be heard. Like, that's like an it's like a Matt. You're at a bar. One of us is going to get up and have a microphone and talk to everybody. Like, that isn't a normal impulse. Like, you're you're a child, and you're like you want to be a director. That's not just. 
He didn't want to be the DP. Yeah. That would have been cool. You're like, I want to be the guy that everyone well, has to check yeah. with me. Like that. Well, at first, at first I wanted to be the DP because I was in, interested in the technical. Then I realized, oh, wait, but the director is the guy who makes all the decisions and everybody has to listen to. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, I, but I wasn't the guy who had the ego where I could get up with a microphone in a club and do it. So it was sort of like a push-pull where I was like, okay, I can't do that, but maybe I can do this. And this ambition and this idea of like, hey, I can do this. And when I, that definitely was there. And I think it to a point where I wasn't as self-aware when I was younger, you just, I was just kind of doing it, you know, I was doing it. And I think, okay, I could do this. Do you think it helped? I'm assuming it did that your parents, you saw them both as normal people and as comedians that went out and killed and were, but you also saw them making a sandwich and you saw them brushing their teeth, you know? Like, yeah. yeah, but I saw them as like it was always part of like the, the the normal part of our lives or their lives was getting ready and doing the work and figuring out how to get to the next you know place really you know so it was always writing or my dad was always working and he was always uh, you know kind of figuring out what uh, was funny and and whatever it was just so that was it wasn't sort of like hey home life where we turn it off it was just sort of like mm. this is just part of our the fabric of our lives is always preparing or going off and doing something or going off to California for two weeks to do a sitcom or a game show and coming back and hmm. yeah so it did, it did normalize it um, I I wonder this is a leading question so but I feel like you're doing. <laughs> You're doing great, and you're not going to say, you're not going to agree with me, just to be nice. I watched the Gilda Radner documentary, and I was really haunted by it, because she really seemed to believe um, sh the showbiz thing, that like if the crowd is laughing, they love you, and if they're booing, they hate you. And, and we all have that, but we all have to sort of get over it. Here's the leading question. Did you feel like as a kid you watched your parents get that love out there and then maybe learn wait, I can do that. I can go, I can go bring home the spoils and I should because, and again, leading, leading, leading. But like, if your parents were like me, they kill, they're, they're happy. There's there. Everything's great in the world. When, when you kill and something plays, it's like the best drug in the world is, is to connect and to find that perfect audience and to have the routine go perfectly or the film air perfectly or whatever. Do you think you kind of, that's when the chip got planted? Like, that made you like me, like, oh, okay, I'm going to go and prove my value. And added to that, was there a lot of uh, love and attention to them? And then that made you kind of want to strive to get your own. That's the second part. Yeah, I think it was all interconnected because it wasn't like there was a moment or, you know, like, hey, they're doing that. I want to do that. It just felt like that was the natural correlation or the natural sort of like, um, trajectory mm -hmm. you know oh they do that and they get you know and and people like that and you know the on stage laugh thing was something that i never really i experienced it when i got my first job in a play uh when i was like uh, i don't know 21 and it was this play that was off broadway and at lincoln center and i did a monologue at the beginning of the second act and it got laughs you know and that felt really good. And it almost was like doing a stand-up act every night in the play because I could, I would gauge the audience and it, it felt like that. And it felt really, you know, it was exciting when it went well. Um, but at the same time, I was also, you know, wanting to do all this other stuff too, that wasn't related to just getting in front of an audience and getting the laughs. So, um, 
I don't know. You know, it's, it's, but in terms of how it relates to my parents, I think my whole life, I always was trying to figure out how to get my mother to like really, really, you know, love what I was doing. And she did, <laughs> but like I, but she just was not the type of person who, you know, she'd be like, you know, if I'm doing like a silly comedy, she would be like, you know, do more movies like Greenberg, you know? Wow. She, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. she, she, I think she knew that I was interested in going in that direction and doing, you know, more complicated, deeper stuff, but it wasn't, it was, it wasn't always easy. You know, when you're doing these movies that are big comedies and I always felt like, yeah, I knew that she appreciated it, but I think, you know, I always was, it was a, it was a tough thing. And mm. I think, you know, that was probably more in my own head than in relating to her necessarily because we had a great relationship mm. but that was definitely something for I me. I hear you though but you you know you're like me and it's hard to sort of you can't know another person's mind that that's the wisdom I I, I hear you demonstrating there so you right. can't know but you do know your experience but your experience was also valid so I'm going to say both if you felt like it was hard I feel that way so I'm doing a multi-cam right now and my mom Maybe it sounds like just from that one quote you gave me of your mom, <laughs> two more movies like Greenberg. My mom said, quote, finally something we can watch. I mean, that, that's, what right. she, that's what she said. So, and there's this cocktail, you know, um, Bono said it, I think. Maybe he's on my mind because I watched your Bono, uh, the Bon Mitzvah, Bon Mitzvah. Um, where, where, you know, he said, you want a overloving mother that's taken from you too soon and a withholding father. That's, that's the recipe. Oh, but wow. It seems to me withholding from anybody is always, Wait, gonna, you, you want that for what? To be talented, the, to be talented. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he, and the, he says it as a joke. He goes, I was lucky enough to have both. Um, mm. I, this is like, we've done hundreds of these, uh, conversations I run into that a lot, that there's usually, and they become a phantom in your brain, like Phantom Thread, where he still sees his right. mother in the bedroom. Like, he's still right. trying to please mother, and, or, you know, Psycho is another, but <laughs> that's the other extreme. Yeah, that's the other extreme. <laughs> but, like, I, I, I'm embarrassed how much it matters to me um, what they think, even though at the, sa at the other side of my mouth, I'll be saying like, I'm not doing it for them. This isn't about them. I'm a grown man, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, it, first of all, it's great that they're there and they can still appreciate your work. Cause like, you know, now coming from this experience of, and I'm, I'm happen to be working on a documentary about my parents. Mm. So it's been interesting to kind of delve into a lot of their work relationship and, and uh, you know, my dad recorded a lot of uh, audio when they were working and writing and conversations. And, yeah. you know, it's like, it was an interesting, complicated relationship they had that was rooted in love and, and, but this real creative connection, hmm. but, you know, just to have now that they're not there, that's, that's the interesting thing is to see, or to feel how much I think about them when I'm doing something and how think about how they would react to it and all of that. I mean, even, you know, I even think just like in my hair, like where I let my hair go gray, I think about like my dad would be like, oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> you, know, my dad would be, you know, like you just gotta keep a little, keep a little dark in there. Just, oh uh, my God. You know, that kind of thing, you know, that he yeah. like sort of like the show business thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, just run you know, a little so they, shoe polish through there, Benny. <laughs> Just a little bit. They like they they like how they remember you. Yeah, you know. Ah, uh, <laughs> ah, ah. 
That's... Because he loved, you know, he, it mattered to him, that, you know, his connection with the audience. It, it filled him with, you know, a lot of joy because he grew up in a, a very withholding uh, family and, you know, during the Depression. And so his connection with making an audience laugh when people come up to him on the street really, you know, filled him up. Yeah. Here's, here's a, that was another yeah that sounded like I wasn't listening. It filled him up. He had a connection. It, I, I could repeat everything you said. Great. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm planting in your mind that I'm not listening. You're not thinking that, but I keep making sure you know. I know why. It's because I watched that Stern thing. I was like, he's not even listening. Anyway, um, he, a long time ago. I wonder... Like I, you said, I heard you say somewhere that your daughter is interested in acting, and and is your son possibly maybe too? He's pretty young. He he's pretty young, but my daughter is going to drama school, so she's serious about it. Yeah. Well, what I wonder if when let let's say your daughter uh, starts getting big on some like TikTok or something, if if there might be like a you're like yeah, but it's not a film, <laughs> you know. I'm not saying you would say that. In the same way, you do the Ben Stiller show, which was sort of your your big your first big break. I wonder if they were like, "Yeah, but it's not in front of the li- live audience. There's no razzle dazzle, you know. Like, how are you going to know if it's working? I wonder if it was confusing to them that you're like, "No, we do these sketches. It's on MTV." Like, do you remember their response to to that? Yeah, no, they got that because they were actually doing sketch comedy too, and I think they okay. totally understood what I was doing, and they they were actually a part of. When I was starting out, I was making audition tapes for Saturday Night Live, and I did like a whole tape with a theme where I went to my parents and I told them that I wanted to be uh, on SNL and I needed some material from them. And I did like a, I have, I have the, like the, the the raw footage of this thing I did with my parents, where like I'm telling my parents to like give me some material, and then I went up and visited my dad who was at the Williamstown Theater Festival. We did like a whole takeoff on Death of a Salesman. I mean, like where I went up to see him there, and he he was like having an affair with some actress and I walked in on, I mean, it was like this crazy <laughs> psycho. Uh, I mean, it was, and, but they totally were there for all of it. Like they just I were see. like on board. So they definitely got it. I think they probably looked at me and like, okay, Ben's doing his thing. And he really, you know, he really is like, he has an idea of what he wants to do. So like, you know, we support it, but like, go do your thing, Ben. But, but I, I don't, I don't think they ever didn't understand. That was one of the great things about growing up with, parents who were actors who I think they got that. Yeah. Um, Okay. I'm glad I asked. I couldn't have been more wrong though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. They were pretty, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, no. I mean, I think that that was, if anything, it was more my dad sort of, and I, you know, I can understand this as a parent, like I could feel my dad wanting it to go well for me Mm. and that protective thing as a parent of not wanting to see me have to go through failure Mm. You know, which you can't protect your kids from. You just have to let them do it. But he would try to, you know, he couldn't help himself from trying to sort of protect me from that. That's interesting. Was was the Ben Stiller show viewed as a as a failure? Yes. That was a real question. That was a real <laughs> yeah, question. Because no, I, I mean, me, it was it was it wasn't <laughs> viewed. I don't think it was viewed as anything. I think it was just sort of <laughs> it was sort of like it it happened. Um, <laughs> your and, yes, and though. I want your yes to be my ringtone <laughs> with the exact pause. Yes, <laughs> that was a loaded yes, and I loved it. It was I, no, it was a very successful failure because it like it gave me the next opportunity. I had two failures with the Ben Stiller show. It was the MTV Ben Stiller show 
which was we showed videos and did a version of the show. And then the Fox one, which we developed over a couple of years that was after that. And that was, you know, got canceled also, but then led to other opportunities. Yeah. So, Well, I mean, who cares? I, I also yeah. ha- I had a short I had the Pete Holmes show short lived. You've never even heard of it. Those are the mugs back there. And nice. <laughs> I don't I I don't consider it a failure, even though my joke is I don't think TBS even knows it aired. Like I, I'm pretty sure they, right. they're not aware of it. But like as a kid watching it, it it was, you know, I'm sure you get this all the time from comedians. I was like, that was a thing that you saw, and you were like, oh, there's other there's other people like me. You know what I mean? That that yeah. that have the same sense of humor. Like, I mean, now I, I, I re- t- just go ahead. Just to be clear, at the time, I did, I wasn't feeling like oh, this is a failure yeah. at all. Yeah, you know what I mean. At the time, I was. Like, wow, we just got to do that one on MTV. And now Fox wants us to develop a show. And then two and a half years later, we got this pilot done. And then they put it on the air and we did it. And it, it, I knew it wasn't getting picked up. And it was kind of a bummer. But it was also like, oh, my God, we did that. You know, and things were, it felt like things, you know, were happening. And yes. it was like, okay, that 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 got canceled. But, you know, on to the next thing. And so, yeah. So, and it was all fun. And it was all fun when we were doing it. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I didn't think you thought it was a failure, but it was, it was received as a failure. It's so funny to me. It actually makes me nostalgic for the time in my life. Not that I'm so Hollywood, but like, I just thought it was good and it was on TV. What a mitzvah. You know what I mean? I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> right. But yeah. that's, that is honestly how I think we all felt. Yeah. Like I remember telling my dad like, Hey, they're going to put this show on the air. And that was like really exciting. And then it was on the air and we were doing it and we were going to the network, you know, the television critics association thing. And we yes, were, yes. you know, like, I remember like going to Fox parties and, you know, Toby Maguire was there with his show, great Scott. And like, other, wow. you know, there were like, you know, uh, Herman's head was happening. You know, these other sitcoms <laughs> on Fox because they had, you know, they had like eight hours of programming a week at that time. Wow. And yeah. it was just exciting because there's nothing like those first jobs when you, you know, you're starting out. It's just like, oh my God, we're doing it. Did you, I struggled a little bit. Uh, Chris Rock has a great line where he's like, when they take a comedian and give him a show, it's like taking a waiter and giving him a restaurant. And I, I relate hard to that. When the yeah. when my show was done, we did eighty episodes. It was on every day, though. Uh, so they, well, wow, there was a fly in here. Um, there are flies in here. And Ben, I want you to know, I sl- I killed one like Obama, like I got mm-hmm. him. And uh, five minutes later, he's up and about again. He's he's he's, <laughs> he's doing fine. Um, he's I a have survivor. ladybugs. No I have a ladybug issue in my house. Yeah, I we had that at uh, the Bennigans I worked at, and ladybugs as a pest. Uh, the cuteness factor is uh, zero. Not so cute. No, not it's not so cute, cute at all. <laughs> yeah. You get them on their back and those legs and the wings come out. They look like any other insect. It's the polka dots and the, the red polka dots. Polka dots. Yeah. Where yeah. it's like a children's umbrella. That, that doesn't work when they're on their back. <laughs> then they just look like what they are, which is something from Dune, like coming out of the exactly. sand to kill you. It's, it's an unpleasant bug. No, you you this is we finally have our clickbait. Ben Stiller shot fired <laughs> on uh, ladybugs. Um what was I saying? Do you remember oh, you're, but about being um having oh, a Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you got show. a restaurant. You got a restaurant. So yeah. I'm only saying this um to see if you can relate is is 
when the show was done, I had this like postmortem with almost everybody on the show, and I didn't even know there were problems. Like there, but there were. <laughs> like people were like, "Oh, there was this and this and this," and like there were times that I uh, was feeling a lot of pressure, and and you know they they noticed that and felt that. And what I mean is, I didn't have any office managing skill. So I didn't know, I probably didn't know this on crashing either to like check in and make sure people are good and incentivize my workers and all this stuff that why the, why would I know any of that? Uh, What does that bring to mind for you with your first show? And it's your name. I think there's something about that. You know, the, what it brings to mind for me is just, it took me a long time and I'm saying like maybe like 25 or 30 years of doing it to realize how important that is, you know, the demeanor, what you put out there, if you're heading something up, you know, and I think uh, as a director, that's what I finally started to understand because I used to look at it in a way that was much more sort of um, maybe sometimes mercenary going in, you know, like, uh, oh, I'm going to protect the actors in this scene, Mm -hmm. you know, in my first movies and, and not thinking about how to talk to the crew and not, you know, not really understanding that, oh, wait, if I want to get the best out of everybody, then everybody has to feel that they're being related to on a, on right. a really you know, human and open level. And yeah, I yeah. didn't do that as well. And, I, you know, and I, so I feel like it's taken me time. What you're saying is very relevant. When you walk in a room, just say, hey, because you're, bo- you're the boss, you're in charge. Everybody is kind of going off of your energy. Mm. And um, I was less self-aware for a long time about that. Because I didn't think like, well, what are they really? They're really going to care about where, how, where I'm coming from? Right, right. So it actually was coming from a humble place. but there's Well, a, humble, there's- but then sometimes also less self-aware. And then, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say it. Like, I feel like I could, I could be arrogant sometimes and mm-hmm. think it, that same idea of like thinking I knew what I was doing mm-hmm. when I really didn't know as much what I was doing. But sometimes that like thinking you know what you're doing is what get you, gets you through mm-hmm. to be able to like actually go and make choices. I completely relate to what you're saying. So sometimes what's happening is it's spilling over. It's something you need. You need to be able to like hype yourself up and then it spills yeah. over a little bit in, in a negative way. Or yeah. In a not and that's way. right. And that's just, I think for me, it was like just my youth and where I was at in my life and just not knowing that, you know, and sometimes it's all mixed in. Um, mm. So mm. Um, I think that's very valid. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, let's, let's face it. Like when you're doing these shows, like you're doing a show and you're starring in a show, that's a lot of pressure on you. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And you, and then like, how do you kind of like, let that be fun, be the fun sort of like, I love doing my show and you know, I love being Pete Holmes. You know, you know what the secret is that I've learned from going from crashing to the show I'm on is uh, yeah. don't be in every scene. Don't write every episode. You know what? It, it was all this like, right. Right. That was like a one. In, like I understand I heard Greta Gerwig actually say that directing was her favorite thing that she's ever done. We went and saw Lady Bird and, and there was a Q&A afterwards. And I, I was sort of surprised at that point in my life that she said, hearing someone else say what I wrote while I watched was way better than being in front of the camera. And now I'm, I'm slowly starting to understand. I don't know if that means I'm getting it out of my system or what. How do, is that what it feels like to you is there's like a... There's like a settling. There's a maturity. I don't mean bad settling. I mean like the sediment has settled and you're more yeah. clear. 
For sure. I mean, even just literally not acting and directing, you know, the last few years and just directing, just doing one thing at a time. I, it, it, the first day of shooting on Escape at Danamora, which is really the first thing I directed since probably Cable Guy that I wasn't really in. Yeah. Uh, it was so enjoyable the first day. I, I remember just having this feeling, like, oh my God, this is going to be great. Because I love doing this. I love directing yeah, and yeah. I love acting too. And But directing and acting would be, you know, it, it's the thing where like it'd be fun to set up the shot and figure out what the scene was. And then you have to jump in front of the camera and you have to do it. Yeah. You know, and that part of it is- Then you have to go back is, and watch. If, if yeah, you have to go back and watch and decide if you if it's good enough or not and, <laughs> you know, all that. Can't be good for acting. That can't be no. good. I would never want to watch The Last Take because it, it's like, I think of Adam Driver who doesn't watch his movies and stuff. I'm like, I get it. You're trying right. to get out of the way, but you're directing your own movie. It's, it sort of seems insane. <laughs> Uh, Imagine if you were that kind of actor and and you directed your own movies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't watch my takes or the movie, but I'm. I will directing. listen. I'll listen to the cut. I'll listen yes. to the cut and give notes. Um, that's the problem because I want to be that kind of actor, you know. And uh, yeah. uh, and Owen Wilson like that too. I don't think he's like. I think he told me the other day, like just the other day, that like somehow his son was watching. Zoolander or something and saw a scene and like he was talking about some scene in Zoolander that he saw for the first time like two weeks ago. Wow. I was like, oh, so weird. <laughs> that, okay. I, this is Isn't something crazy. I, I find that hilarious and I love the restraint to not even try the impression. That was very fun. I, ha I hadn't even, <laughs> I, can't even. I hadn't even seen it. It, <laughs> was Zoo, it was Zoolander. I mean, I know you're a good friend, so... <laughs> Well, what was my character's name? I don't. I, that's, you know, this is a safe space podcast. We can try any impression. All right. Um, here's a very uh, okay. So the last thing I was doing, I noticed that I'm a comedian, and when I'm reading a script, um, I do think about what, what my character is feeling. But then there's this crust to the pie that I can't and don't want to shake, which is I'm thinking what is the funniest way to say it. I, I Maybe that's not the best way to mm -hmm. get at it, but I happen to think it is. I go, I know the writers laughed when they wrote this in the room, and I know there's the perfect, like cracking a safe. There's a way to say it. Maybe it's like Christopher Walken. Maybe it's like this. Maybe it's like, you have to find it, and it's about mm -hmm. timing, and sometimes it's about tripping up your timing. And then I've, I've worked with other uh, people just recently that are like, I don't think about that at all. All I think about is what is my character feeling? And I, mm -hmm. I want, I'd love to get your answer and I'm going to load you with a specific moment. It's, it's something that Val and I love so much. It's in Starsky and Hutch, which I think is a really a perfect movie. I think it's wonderful. And there's that moment where you'd go do it, do it. <laughs> and when I first saw it, I just didn't know. I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I just was like, what the fuck am I looking at? I'm laughing at a pause. I'm la like, the line is do it, do it. <laughs> now, I really want to know, were you, or, or, you know, if you were to do that today, are you thinking, okay, I'm Starsky, I'm undercover, I don't know how to be a guy? Or are you thinking what I would be thinking, which is, this would be funny. I'm just thinking, as Pete Holmes, this would be funny if he has like a really grotesque long pause in between it that is so weird, and that'll be funny. Like, can you can you help me into the process a little bit? Um, yeah, I mean, I can just tell you that 
it was a sketch that we did. It was a character that we did in a sketch on the Ben Stiller show, with, which was based on sort of like this impression of like a guy that I would, you know, would be a friend of my uncle Arnie's or whatever. So that's what it was. It was like, and the, that was the sketch. It was like the do it, do it. You know, we just, and we'd play with that. Um, you know, like uncomfortable thing of like people coming up and asking for an autograph or whatever. And, you know, we, so, so that was very calculated. Yeah. So was it, <laughs> and wait, yeah, go ahead. Trying to work out just, we were trying to work a sketch character into that movie in that, but, but if you are, you know, interested in terms of just overall comedically, yeah, you know, I think like in comedies, you have a sense of what's funny and you have a sense of the tone of the movie but it's, I think it differs from scene to scene where you're just in the moment because you always want to be coming from just the reality of the moment. But, you know, yeah, it's impossible not to know sometimes in your head, okay, this might be funny. I think that sometimes can be the enemy of uh, originality, though, sometimes, because it, maybe if you've done it for a while, like, you know, to the point where, you know, you do have rhythms that yes. people know yes. that come naturally, but then they become a thing that you you know, almost gets written into something you're doing, right? Right. Or you've written it in or somebody's written it and you know that's the situation. So, but yet it still remains funny. Yes. In that, you know, whatever that situation is. I mean, and I love watching comedians or comedic actors do stuff like that where, um, you know, where that timing is just, it makes you laugh anyway. But yeah. I think you're always trying to figure out a way to be, you know, in the moment with it and then, and see where it goes. And, uh, but I don't, I, I didn't like doing that when it, when it would be sort of like, if it's too calculated, I feel like, oh no, this isn't, I shouldn't do this because it's too calculated. Right. You know yeah, what I mean? I, I do know what you mean. I, I, I think I, maybe I'm flattering myself and saying we're similar. What I do, and I can't help it. It sounds like you're the same. I think I know there's ways that I've done this in the past. I've done a joke like this. You almost like know the, the shape of the joke, the sound and the color of the joke. And you're like, I think it's this kind of joke. But I'm so worried about like not understanding. So I really want to know what the writer meant. I want to know like, and, and then maybe I'll forget it, but I want to know they mean it like this kind of joke. And then when you say action or the director says action, I do try to throw it away, but I always want it seasoning whatever natural moment I, but just because, I don't know, maybe it's right. from being a writer. Like, I'm sure you've written things where it's like, you just want to go in and be like, you can't. I mean, some actors let you give them a read, but I always appreciate it. But you want to be like, maybe it's more like, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like maybe try one. You're going, maybe. I, I really, you know when sometimes people go, maybe. And that, that's just what I was picturing. Like, that is why I'd be a bad director, because that's all I'd want to do. I'd, I'd try and nudge them towards what I was thinking. <laughs> no, but that's totally legitimate, because sometimes something's written that way, and that's what's going to be, that, that's what, why it was written that way, because it'd be funny to be said. Like, like when somebody's missing that, yes, it's, it's the, the most frustrating thing, I think, as a comedy director. Because yes. you're like, no, 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 that's not... And, and, I, the best actors that I know are always open to if you want to, you know, if you're doing a scene where there's a comedy moment and you say, you know what, I'm they're Can open I to a line. Can I tell you what I'm thinking? I, when yeah. did it become, okay, I'm glad you've, you validated me. I don't know when it became a thing. You do voiceover, especially in voiceover. Just tell me, like, you've already seen the animatic. Could you just tell me what it is? But like, it became this 
idea in, in Hollywood. Don't give don't give him a read. Don't give him a read. Actors don't like reads. It's like giving me the answer, and then I can play with it. But I'd like to know the answer. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think uh, my experience as a director is, you know, if you don't give a line reading and the actor is good, you're going to get a lot of interesting stuff that's going to be organic. And then it might be end up being really good. It might be um, better, but yeah. It might be better. But if you have something in your head that you want to hear, then, you know, you just before it's like you're never going to do this line again. So yeah. like, hey, can we just do one take where you try this? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I love it. You validate. Yeah. And a lot, I love it when actors also will come up to me when I'm talking to them, because sometimes I do try to do that where I'm trying to tell them an idea or something. And sometimes they'll say to me, just give me the line. You know, hey, yeah. I, you want to tell me how to say it? And sometimes that can be great. I've had it though, sometimes where I go, you know what? I don't, there is no actual way, you know, like there isn't a way that I necessarily want it. Just mm. go do your thing. But, you know, it's, uh, it's always, you know, it's it's a give and take. I just like I like when actors aren't that precious where they're not worrying about like, oh, I have to do this, you know, like like they they're open to whatever. Like let's just, you know, let's make it work. Well, I think about that. I, I just watched uh Black Mass, the Johnny Depp movie, and I'm watching him and I'm like, there's there's like funny moments. Like he's telling his son, um, you didn't get in trouble for hitting a kid at school, you got in trouble for hitting in a, hitting a kid in school where other people could see. And his uh, son's mother goes, you shouldn't be telling him that. And Johnny Depp, I think I can do it. He goes, no, babe, that's exactly what I should be telling him right now. Like he says it sort of like without moving. <laughs> See, this is how, I think this is how we think. It's like he didn't move. That made it funnier. Like he kind of made this like earnest face. Like he almost made an incredulous face. Like, are you kidding? This is like gold. I'm giving parenting gold. But I don't think Johnny Depp was going like, Here's how the comedy works. I think he was just going, I'm Whitey Bulger. I'm a gangster. Like, I think that's what he was doing. <laughs> but I don't, I, I don't think I'm him. <laughs> that's, that's what we've learned. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, every actor is different. Sometimes they have a sense of that. You know, dramatic actors have a sense of the comedy. And sometimes yeah. they have their own sense of what it is. But it still could be funny. Yeah. Let's get weirder. Have you ever seen a ghost? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um I believe in ghosts. Okay, here we go. I have not seen one uh, per se, but our family had a house in Nantucket, Massachusetts, and there was definitely, you know, weird things would happen in this house. Okay. And weird, I yeah. So, uh, you know, feelings in rooms. There was like a baby who passed away in one of the rooms in like the 1910s. Classic. And I feel like the ghost of that baby was in the house and wow. things would happen. Um, but never have I seen an apparition, really. Have you ever, you, there's really great ghost stories on this podcast. Um, uh, really? Yeah, I'm trying to think of Brett Goldstein, who's on Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he's great. He has an incredible yeah. ghost story and he told it so casually really? with all the charm of a, of a Brit. And it was about like shit flying around the room and stuff like weird, weird, oh my weird God. stuff. Um, what about anything? This is, this is too general of a question, but like, can you tell me something that you've seen that you just couldn't explain? Maybe you saw a psychic, maybe it was a UFO, uh, anything like that. Right. Maybe, uh, I, I, I hate to be so grotesque and load you with this, but somebody passes and then they come to you in a dream, you know, things like that. Oh my God. Um, God, I no. I mean, it's pertaining to the, the house. I slept one night in the attic of that house and, uh, I, 
I, I woke up like I was like, I had one of those, like, you know, when like you're making crazy sounds like, that kind of yeah, I woke my wife up. Um, and I felt like somehow like there was some, that something in that room was sort of like taking, like kind of trying to puppeting take you. over. Yes. Puppeting me. Yeah. In some way. And it definitely felt, it was definitely, it felt very, uh, unsettling. Um, UFOs. I've never seen, I've never seen a UFO, um, or in terms of unexplained things. Mm. Uh, no, I mean, nothing, nothing heavy like that. No, but I, I feel like the, the, the most supernatural thing is the experiences in that house for me were, were it. Okay. That, uh, I mean, that was a great, that was a great weird real. one. <laughs> you, yeah. you just yeah. said you were puppeted <laughs> by a spirit. You were like, yeah, not really. That reminds me, Reese Darby did that. He said that happened to him on stage. It was in really? um, Edinburgh. And they were like, it's one of the most haunted places on earth where your show is. And he was on stage and he kind of got puppeted. And, and the whole audience. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody likes this story. I just did the Paramount Theater in Austin and I Googled it to see what it looked like. And the one, the first photo that came up was a, was a ghost in the balcony. And, and the, I, 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 oh. I, I mentioned it up top, but I was aware that there was a ghost. And when you mention it to the staff... No, they don't want to talk about it, and that never makes right. you feel good. But I've heard stories about theaters. The, the, um, my dad was doing a play, uh, and they were rehearsing at the new Amsterdam Theater on Forty Second Street on Broadway. I don't know. If, I don't think it's there now. It's been refurbished as one of those. That's like, an M and M store. You know. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but apparently, there was a ghost in that theater that everybody knew about too. That was I like, don't in care the back. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. How about this? Have you ever almost died? Is like maybe when you were a kid got swept away by a riptide. Oh gosh. Gee, this, oh my God. I'm priming you. I'm priming you for the um, religious section. We think about our own. Oh deaths. God. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean the closest that I ever came, I think to uh, being a, afraid for my life like that was when I was scuba diving. I started scuba diving when I was about 14 or 15 in Nantucket also. And I ran out of air uh, off of the, like 50 feet down. And the instructor that I was with who ran the dive shop, I was actually an assistant instructor. His name is Phil Osley. He still runs this uh, store up in Nantucket, the sunken ship. He's a great guy. He buddy breathed with me and took me. He w I wanted to go up to the surface. Of course. And he wouldn't let me go up to the surface because he knew it was too rough at the surface and I would have been knocked into the rocks. Oh, my God. So he forced me to buddy breathe with him and uh, and swim around the uh, the rock jetty that we were diving around. There's no hand so signal for that. I, I also ran out of air uh, scuba diving in the Red Sea in uh, off in Egypt. And I was diving in the Red Sea too, by the way. Really? When I was a teen, yeah, when I was a teenager, yeah. Why were you there? My dad took me on a trip to Israel. We did a two week birthright father son trip. Or just yeah, no, it wasn't birthright. It was just hang, it was just hanging out and visiting. Went to Jerusalem. Went down to a lot. That's what I did. The, yeah, I was in yeah. Jerusalem and I went down to a lot. That's exactly mm. what I did. We probably took the same bus, which they, the TVs didn't turn <laughs> off. It was the things I put up with. I feel like you're like me. I like to control my environment. I always have my headphones with me and stuff. And when I was uh, in college, I just took a bus with blaring like Egyptian television for six <laughs> hours. And I was like, I'm going to see the pyramids. Like I just didn't 
care as much, I guess, or maybe. That, you know, that just made me think of when I was doing a movie in Mexico in 1986 and the plane took off to go to Mexico and it was like, a, I think it was a Mexican airline and it almost, I didn't almost crash, but like the, basically something happened and it lost power in the engine and we had to go right back and that was pretty scary. Oh too. my gosh. That. Yeah, I just thought of that when you said You that. mean it just went, it was like, thank you for it like choosing took Air off. Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then it's just like, okay, we're going right back. And it was, uh, it was, everybody panicked. It was a little bit scary. Of course. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I I was going to say no me gusta, but that sounds like a Spanish joke. I would have said that regardless. (laughs) Um, We always talk about this. Uh, It's one of the things I told um, your lovely team. We like talking about spirituality and without the burden of figuring it out or, or feeling like you're on the record. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. Do you have any, I love this part of the interview. We are aware right now, you know, there's consciousness exists. Like the feeling of I am emanates inside of you and inside of me. And that's a mystery. That's a a mystery. We all agree on that. And I'm just wondering what your framework is for that. If you were to engage with that mystery, do you have any religious leanings or spiritual leanings? Um, a good way in as often do you think death is the end uh do you think it's meaningless <laughs> go ahead <laughs> go ahead ben. do you think it's meaningless have fun with that one i'm um, also here it's it's not it's not a monologue i'm here uh you know what i'm saying yeah I'm, no i hear you yeah no I, I mean here i'll tell you uh you know i don't have any um organized religious uh practices i you know was raised jewish my mom was catholic uh, converted to judaism before i was born i was bar mitzvahed and you know my dad went to synagogue twice a year we used to go and then but i never really you know was religious um my dad though was and he was well he but he was very spiritual and spiritual in his judaism i think his practice of judaism my mom was much more interested in uh, alternate realities. And like when I was a kid, she was reading these Seth books, you know, Seth speaks. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, she's interested in quantum physics and all these different areas of, you know, alternate realities. And, uh, I have always gravitated towards the idea that there is something there. Um, and I don't, necessarily think that death is the end and that's it and it's over because I have trouble sort of reconciling with, well, then what's the experience of it being over? In other words, what's Mm. the experience of not being conscious? Something would have to be conscious to observe the lack of consciousness. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and, and I have to say, you know, since both my parents have passed, I feel, I feel a connection with them and in a way that you I think feel with people who are close to you when they're gone and friends of mine who I've lost too, mm-hmm. that, you know, sometimes it feels connected uh, to something else. Um, and sometimes it feels less connected. I, I, I'm, I'm curious, I'm very curious about that and, and w- what else, you know, is out there in terms of, you know, what happens after we die. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, my dad, I just felt my dad was like very connected to that. And like we took, uh, he had like, when we were kids, we took Est and we took uh, TM and did all these different sort of consciousness. Est was the Earhart seminars training. Uh, It was 
it, it was this very 70s uh, sort of self-actualization course that then became something called, uh, I think it was called... Dianetics? I'm just kidding. No, it wasn't Dianetics. <laughs> Although it was, in it the 70s... The it, forum. Yeah, it became yeah. something called the Forum. Okay, yep. There were a lot of people in Hollywood who were into it. But it was basically a training where you'd go for two weekends a, as an adult and they would, and Werner Erhard was the guy who ran it, like would basically like break you down and get, and get you to the meaning of what is it? You have to get it. What is it? They, they parodied it in um, that movie, uh, Semi-Tough, I think. Um, I've definitely some, seen it parodied. Yeah. I don't know. If yeah. It was a very, it was a big thing in the late seventies. And then my, my, do- my, uh, my daughter, my sister and I went when we were kids, like we were teenagers and my parents had us do the teenage version and the kids version of it, which was pretty weird. But um, anyway, what do you you mean? How was it weird? Because it was sort of this adult, you know, (laughs) self-actualization course, but then they had the kids do it. So it's like they're breaking down the kids over a course of two two weekends where like the kids to kind of get off of their bullshit and their act. They call it your act, drop your act. Yes. And (laughs) am I wrong? I think actors liked it because it helped you act. Like it helps you realize you're, you're always playing a character so you can just play another character. Right. Yeah. 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 It was kind of a little bit crazy you know i mean there were definitely probably elements of it that that made sense but anyway our family was always was always sort of exploring and you know searching um even though there were other things that we weren't searching at all and like there was a lot of dysfunction too but you know it was all sort of the 70s there were so many different things going on so anyway for where i'm at now i feel you know very much connected i think just spiritually with people in my life and feeling that connection people who are gone to. And I think there is something out there and that we are part of something uh, that is not just the sort of the consciousness that we have here in life right now and these everyday moments. Um, And uh, I don't know, but I don't have bigger ideas about it. Um, But I do think that when you, when you lose people who you love in your life, it kind of gets you in touch with what that feeling is, that connection, that soul connection that you have with people who you love. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I, I, you've, I've seen you take ayahuasca in movies. Have you, ever, <laughs> have you ever done anything like that? Yeah, I've tried not ayahuasca. I tried a, a something, another natural thing like that once a number of years ago, uh, where it was in a yurt. And it was with a bunch of people. We and, were all picturing uh, a yurt. Any before you said yurt, uh, yeah, yurt, yeah. It was the whole yurt experience and uh, it was some, it was really, you know, it was interesting. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, I'm not someone who's, you know, taking uh, mushrooms and experimenting every day, but, uh, you know, I think there is something to those mind altering uh, substances that, you know, can, can open you up in a way to different perspectives on, on our reality. Yeah. We just do, you well, know. Maybe you tell me, like the est thing. Talk about dropping your act. My experience with psychedelics. I, I don't. I don't really do psychedelics anymore. I'm retired. But like my experiences with them were kind of what you're saying. It's like, don't mm-hmm. you see, you're playing a part. You, I, I, you might be playing the part of son or or right. brother. Or now, now you shift. Your energy shifts. You, I've always wondered this, and you, you know, you're an actor. Like you see, 
what what is when I'm if I'm pretending to feel this way, I move this way. Like I, I might walk this way. This is how I sit in a chair. But that's what we're doing. Like you you go into a pitch. I want to look comfortable. I I might take up a little more space, or I might overcompensate right. and look relaxed. And when you take mushrooms or or whatever you take, uh, or through meditation, you strip away all of the stuff that I, I would like to say it's non essential. You know what I mean? Like all of these experiences that you've had, your life, they come and they go, but there's something that is essential to you that does not change. The The thing that I love to give just as a gift is like the, the awareness, like uh, it doesn't matter how old you are, but you're older than you were when you were 10. But the awareness doesn't feel any older. I, I'll say that for me. It's the same mm-hmm. sort of mirror or screen upon which everything uh, exists and, and, and like sounds sound farther or closer and images seem closer or farther but really they, they they're all put together on the screen of your awareness which is other traditions call it your soul or whatever you might call it god it's it's the knowing in judaism the name of god is i am so we're talking about amness and that emness is you. So I think all of those are clues to your to your intuition that there's more going on here than just sandwiches and jobs and and pooping and sleeping. Yeah, though that is a big part of it, though. <laughs> um, sandwiches are good. I know. I love that quote. I love that Warren Zevon quote when he was, uh, you know, he was sick and he he knew he, he was going to pass away. That he said, "I enjoy you know, eat more sandwiches." enjoy those yeah but uh, something like that yeah because it was he was like saying enjoy the those you know things in life those visceral things that we can enjoy in life well we're back to hanging out with our kids if you eat a sandwich it's like a japanese tea ceremony I, i don't know if you've ever been lucky enough to do anything consciously if you wash your dishes consciously Mm -hmm. if you Mm -hmm. talk to me right now we have an opportunity to do it right now if you do this drop Mm -hmm. anchor into the moment and realize that this is it. This is it. We can talk about our past. Right. This is it. Then, then yeah. I become. You're the universe to me. I'm the universe to you. And and it imbues it with joy. So of course it could be a. It could be taking a poop for real. Like if you do it completely, you see that the the totality is in the the small. Yeah, I, and I think that that the ability to be in the moment. And also then when you do that, you kind of realize that you can't, as you were just saying, you can't be anywhere else. Mm. And I sometimes find that interesting when we're talking about stories and telling stories. Uh, you're, you can only be where you're at in the moment in that story, you know, that you're, that you're experiencing. Um, and yes. right. You can only be there in, in that very moment. And um, I've sometimes found that helpful, you know, with, uh, feelings and emotions or, you know, not, you know, feeling sad or depressed or, you know, that understanding that, you know, that's how, where I'm at now. I, my friend Stuart Kornfeld who passed away, who was my producing partner for like 15 years, he was really into, uh, different forms of, uh, consciousness and reading about uh, Zen Buddhism and, Mm. Um, I don't know if he practiced, but he would talk about that, that, you know, kind of the idea of like not being your feelings or not that your feelings are just sort of like passing through you or, you know, mm-hmm. and are, they change are, what doesn't change. They change. Yeah, what right. Doesn't change. Exactly. And, and if you can sort of somehow, and that's what that thing about the hallucinogen idea or, 
you know, ayahuasca or whatever, or like being able to get this perspective and stepping back and kind of seeing your, your being and your, and your uh, existence outside of being inside of it. So you can almost like floating outside of it. Then you, it's much clearer. It's like, Oh, that's just that. And that's what, you know, and movies do that too with characters. You know, you know, when you watch yeah. The Sopranos and you're like, and Tony's always like, I don't know why I'm so stressed. And you're at home going, Jackie Jr. just got murdered and you saw him as a son. <laughs> like, it's so right. obvious. But that's, right. that's right. one of the things story can help us with. Uh, yeah. And I, I would argue that watching a movie is sort of like being a soul, meaning you're a detached observer meaning you're the unchanging witness that can watch the drama. And even at parts, you get pulled into it and you forget yourself. You're, you're actually in the movie. Like, you are the movie. And that's like what we're doing with ourselves. There's a witness in us, mm-hmm. but we often, it gets obscured by whatever the fuck it is we're worrying about today. Like, I, I, I spent yeah. 20 minutes worrying about somebody emailing me back today. I won't even remember that tomorrow. But the awareness... Is, is constant and, and always the same. Right. Yeah. Um, I also, this doesn't really relate to what you were just saying, but like the idea of watching movies, I, I always find that interesting how you can watch a movie and you sort of lose yourself because you're, you know, you're watching this, this thing that sort of takes, that pulls you in and your consciousness is directed on that. But then emotionally it can connect with you in ways that sometimes you, you don't, you know, in your life, you can't open up. And that's the amazing thing about art that can sort of open you up in ways and affect you in a not intellectual way, but in an emotional way that you don't even necessarily understand um, and be able to, yeah. (laughs) You stopped as if you're the host and I'm the guest. Sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't wait to compliment. Severance, you know, I'm not going to clear my throat and talk about how this isn't a plug kind of show. We're just talking, but for real, mm-hmm. one of the great things about severance was it filled a blank in a emotional vocabulary for a lot of people. You're talking about art can help us feel things and, and uh, almost like exercise things that we can't let go of otherwise until we see them in front of us as a story. And I really think severance goes even further in giving language to what it feels like to be detached from your true self, from your unconscious. I've heard it 95, I've heard 99% of our behavior is motivated through unconscious things. So literally there is a severed part of us in, in, I'm pointing to my belly, but like somewhere in us that's trying to get our attention, that's trying to get, just like Helly is trying to send a note, she's mad at her other self, but like, why do you do anything you have no idea. Most of the time, you don't even know. And before Severance, I didn't have an image for that. But now I have more motivation to be quiet and listen to myself and go like, is there anything you need to tell me? Like, mm. let me drop. I'm the commander in chief. Tell me, is my job wrong? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is this <laughs> the wrong I'm very happy in my job and my relationship, but those are good examples. And, and, and that, I just wanted to compliment that as an, un, yeah, as a well, metaphor for the unconscious. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what Dan, you know, was tapping into when he wrote it, but leap, leap I just out. even not, that out. <laughs> that's what I came up with. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but the, um, you know, that, that basic metaphor that I, that I really related to was when, you know, 
I saw that it was, oh, these people talking like they're in the office or office space and doing this like funny banter, you know, which is so familiar, but they have no idea who they are, what they're doing, why they're there. Right. And that to me is like the ultimate metaphor for life, really. It's yes. like, that's what we're all doing here. I mean, and you can explore it and get and deep with it and try to connect, but we don't have any idea what any of this is about. And every once in a while you go in the back and people with animal masks dance while you eat waffles. Like that's real. Like for you, it was, you got possessed in an attic. For me, it's, I had a weird dream where I was traveling through time. Like shit is all, that's why I like that question. What it's like, we're in the severance office and I go, what did you see at your waffle party? That's what that's that's how I'm pinging other people because the foregone conclusion that we're just in an office and we and we do good and they give us finger traps. That's how I feel when people are kind of like you know <laughs> like not asking any questions about anything. And I can Life. do that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. I can do that too. I'm yeah, no, for sure. And that that and and I do I think about that a lot when I see people in life who are, you know, who I, who maybe it's going back to like the simple happy person, you know, that we were talking about, like that idea of like, I do sort of long for that. But then I also wonder like, well, is that person really simple and happy? Or is there ever that moment at night where they're like thinking about like, well, what is this all about? Well, I'll you tell know? you there any is, is probably not happy and, and peaceful. That, right. That's, that's it. Like, I think we're all coping and some of us cope by being like, I'm just happy Dan and, you know, like whatever it might be. But whether or not you're acknowledging it doesn't mean it's not there. I, that's another thing that the show touches on. I also right. thought it was really important that you saw drinking, you saw healthy examples, painting. You saw, you saw people in all the ways that we're trying to turn ourselves off, like grief, like we just don't want to deal with it. Um, we don't want to feel childbirth. Um, but something we talk right. about on the show all the time, and one of the things that I, I think the show is, is kind of saying is like the innie needs to meet the outie. The, the light needs to meet the dark. As soon as there's manifestation, there there is and there is not, right? That means there's here and not here. That That means death. That means life and death, birth and death. That means happy and sad. But we just want to go around and, and eat ice cream. I, I'm, I'm the same way, I'm telling you. And then let me load you with this and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. So I did that show in Austin. I was nervous about it. It was a thousand people. I was nervous about it the day I booked it and then I was nervous about it, carrying it in my stomach for three, four weeks uh, until I did it. And then after I did it, I was so happy. And I realized as I have, I'm sure I've called my wife a million times and told her this epiphany. I was like, we think we want to do nothing. We don't. We actually want to do nothing after we did something. Like we want to, we want to do something <laughs> that scared us and then have the day off afterwards. But then we're so simple. We go, let's just go to Hawaii for two weeks. And then you go to Hawaii and you're anxious and you're nervous and you're sad or whatever. Like you brought you to Hawaii. It's Brad's status. Right. It's the same thing. Like you can't, you can't get it. So like to me, Severance had a lot to do with like, you don't want to face stuff, but all of life all of the juice of life comes from facing and incorporating the darkness, the, the loss, the shadow, the ugliness. Like, I mean, I, I, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I mean, I never really analyzed it that uh, thoroughly, but it, I think you're right. I mean, that, that the idea of face, it's truth too, right? It's just mm -hmm. like acknowledging the truth. And I think with trauma, that's, 
so much of what it is is just acknowledging it and then you know and, and acknowledging that we feel it in our bodies and carry that stuff around and i think that is a, a sort of one of the things that's going on in the show that i again like i never even thought about that consciously but yeah. it's so there and i think you know the idea of the show also is that you know with mark he is it's always been sort of that idea that you know there's his innie and his Audi, and i think the ultimate sort of uh, trajectory of the show over the course of whatever the life of the show is, is those, you know, him coming in, coming together yes. and becoming whole. Yes. And this is our simple guy fantasy. We're back to the beginning. Is he just severed from his any? You, you know what I'm saying? Right. And I, right, I think right, right. therapy and spirituality or whatever your, your direction or your path to the truth is, that's why, you know, when I got I got divorced and I was embarrassed and I was like I just won't tell anybody about it and then all of the good stuff came from this podcast came from me starting to talk about it it's it's hard to believe but in the early episodes like I don't really want to talk about it because right. that's what I was taught that was modeled to me like that's embarrassing that's a failure and to me I mean look to any major religion for symbols of this it's like through the loss is is the gain. And I don't mean heaven. I don't mean, don't worry, you'll be number one when you're with God. I don't mean that. I mean, it's through the humiliation, it's through the brokenness, it's through the, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Like it's, it's, it's staring us in the face. And yet we go, no, to really win, you're Donald Trump, you have his hair, you got the jet, you got your name on the building and you're getting a blowjob on the plane, baby. And we're like, oh, that's God, not it. That's awesome. not it. Yeah. No. And I think any uh, growth comes from those those moments of being of being in pain and being vulnerable yeah. and because that's when you're most open to really connecting with yourself and you know and it's it's scary and like connecting with that fear of you know being all, all those having all those feelings that we most of the time don't deal with yes. um yes. and and when and when when failure or pain or you know, uh, a lot of it also, you know, I, I think for me, I had a lot of uh, uh, separation anxiety because my parents went away when I was kids, I think, mm-hmm. uh, when we were kids. And I, I really felt that. Your anxious you know, attachment? Um, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, just feeling uh, sort of like, oh, wait, am I going to be okay? Because, you know, I because I, I, they we would go away and then they would come back. And it wasn't like they went away for a long time. But that feeling, I think, was always like, oh, wait, what, 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 you know, am I, am I going to be able to survive, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you see you can survive. Mm-hmm. And, and that just fills you with so much, you know, uh, it's just, you get, you grow so much in those, in those times of, uh, of those low times and well, those, those scary times. I, I'm re- everybody that listens to the, when I'm reading a book, uh, the poor listeners have to hear me talk about that book because I'm reading it and I'm reading mm-hmm. Iron John. It, it was uh, Robert Bly wrote that book about, right. uh, it's called the book about men. And they, these, these tribes had this understanding that it was through things like fear and survival. And so they would manufacture it. It seems so counter to our like male initiation, right? It seems so backwards but when you when i tell you that my divorce was the first moment i was like wait i can wash my wife didn't do the dishes my ex-wife but like i can do the dishes i can write the check i can do like i can go out into manhattan and and hand out flyers and all this stuff like it came from what i didn't want 
And as a parent, I'm, you, you mentioned it with your parents. I just want to protect Leela from all that. And in my heart, I right. know all of the good stuff comes from the breakups and the, and the yep. losing the job and the humiliations. Yeah, from being sort of like cast out of, you know, that whatever that comfortable space is that you create, mm-hmm. you know, because that's not where the growth is, for sure. That's, that's what Richard Rohr says. It's, he says it's such, an un, such a strange place. Uh, Mother Teresa said it too, God's uh, inconceivable hiding place. And she meant among the bro- amongst the broken and, and the poor. Uh, mm-hmm. You've given us so much time. Let me, let me make sure I didn't uh, forget anything. Almost poop your pants. We won't degrade you with that. <laughs> Wait, you laughed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do want to ask why you're off coffee. I'm also off coffee. Oh no, I'm on coffee. You're on. Co- you're back. I told on you I was coffee. off. Co- well, you I am. Off. I was. Yeah, I might have been off it for a while, but I'm back on. He's back on it, baby. I I I had one the other day, and, and my my fists just close, and I get angry. <laughs> I, I I I I really I, I like coffee. I don't. Know, I haven't examined my my real deep connection with it, but it's definitely like a morning thing for me. I'm gonna, that, you know, I'm gonna diagnose if you listen to me with any authority. Let's never look into it. <laughs> like, let's just okay. Yeah, let's just exactly. enjoy the sandwich. Like we're we're talking about so many things. That one we're right. just gonna enjoy the sandwich. Okay, okay good. You have a doctor's order good. for that from me. Um, oh, I did want to say real quick. We're almost done. You must get this every single day. But when I was handing out flyers in New York City. Um, for the a club near the comedy cellar, you walked by me and you looked at me and you nodded me, nodded and smiled. And I remember, I know this must be strange, but like I was like, that really meant a lot. I mean, this is when I was starting, not not doing the TV show. When I was really doing it, I don't know if we ran into each other during. I don't think we did, but I mean, I was just a guy barking. And it really meant a lot to me. And now I, here I am saying thank you for that. Because because you're you're out there like it's the loneliest place in the world, and oh somebody God, yeah. you admire walks by. All you did was just like a, and I was like, <laughs> the rest of the night I was like, I, I the rest of the week I had to do it. You know, did every day. So thank you for that. That's all. <laughs> I'm so happy I didn't curse you out or anything. Well, you did spit at me, but it it felt like a, a friendly spit. Um, and then the last. Last question that we always ask, because we do get a little deep with that stuff, is um, can you tell me a time in your life that you almost pooped your pants? I go back to it. I go back. <laughs> When's the last time you pooped your pants? That's not even it. I, I called an audible. I need it. When did Ben poop oh, his pants? Oh, God. You don't want to know. I it do. wasn't when I was a... It's, I mean, sometimes things happen, right? In life. That's all I'm going to say. I'm trying right? to think of the last time I did because I know <laughs> it was for no good reason. There's no like, listen, I had tried a new restaurant. It wasn't like that. And I was just like, right. I can't believe this is my life. Um, we'll spare you that one. Here's the real last okay. question. <laughs> Can you think of a time in your life, maybe you're a kid, um, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a good story. If you're laughing and tears are coming down your face and you and you think you might die because you're laughing so hard... When did that happen to you? What comes to mind? Just the time you laughed really, really hard in your life. Oh, God. Um, I mean, Gilbert Godfrey just passed away. I remember, and I actually put out a tweet about this. I remember flying. It was in the mid-90s. They had that MGM Grand Airline. Do you remember that? Do you remember hearing about that? It's before your time. But they had... There was literally this airline that they had where it was like first class, but 
it wasn't like supposed to be like a private plane, but it was like basically like 30 people. And it would be like a weird amalgam of celebrities and people who were, you know, like, like I remember like flying once OJ Simpson was on the plane and there was a bar, a piano bar. It was like a weird thing. How did they make sure they were, they just had Donnie Wahlberg on. They were trying to, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was basically like that, but it was sort of like the alternative. Like, so like if somebody was going to fly you to LA, they put you on MGM grand, they had the wrong terminal. Um, But it, it was like a bad, weird experiment. And, I remember sitting across from Gilbert and I honestly don't remember what he was doing, but he was the type of person who would just do something and make you laugh. And then if you, if it made you laugh, he would just keep on doing the same thing over and over again yes, <laughs> until yes. you stopped laughing. Yes. And <laughs> oh my God. Um, so I don't even remember what it was, but I just remember laughing so hard and, I mean, it's the best feeling in the world when some when when you're laughing that hard when you can't stop. What's well, the second uh, time in this podcast you were puppeted? Like that's the feeling to me is yeah, somebody's got yeah. the strings on you, and it's like an act of grace <laughs> that they keep doing it. <laughs> you know, what yeah. I mean? it's like please, yeah, yeah, please yeah, don't yeah. stop. Please don't stop. Well, I love it's that. It's so cathartic. Oh my god, yeah. But I remember just feeling like that whole that whole like whatever it was five hours like being so happy and just you know and you know, like exhausted, exhausted from laughing so much. Yeah. Well, I, I, I I don't, I don't know why I'm moved. Maybe it's because I love what you do and I want you to keep doing it on every front, but it's so strange how the, these things, silly things, Gilbert just saying something over and over and making you laugh. Like that stuff heals our, our innies. You know what I mean? Like something it's going deeper than we can go. You and I can be like, well, my mom was sort of gruff or whatever it might be. Like, but the comedy and the art, as a director, maybe you'll enjoy this, and, th- and then we're going to get out of here. But when you go to a movie, if you've done a powerful psychedelic, there really is something about the light and the focusing your attention. And there's something about the aperture of a camera lens. You know how a camera will take in all the information? You and I are panning mm-hmm. and scanning. You're, okay, I'm looking at your eyes right now, but I'm blurry. Like, if you saw a movie that was shot the way we filter out reality it would be horrible it would be like this sort of fish dome everything's blurry on the outside but when you look at a movie it flattens it out and the lens is open like a dilated pupil it's completely open Mm -hmm. and lets in all this light and if it moves slowly we have this opportunity to get more reality than we do when we're just when we're the camera and then when you bring laughter into it and emotion into it i told you that i believe i told you that the meyerowitz report I don't know if Noah had a similar family to me, but like your character in that movie helped me understand myself. <laughs> when you when you go, mm-hmm. I beat you, I beat you. I was like, oh my god, I'm trying to beat All my right. father. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And me too. I mean, I right? honestly like I I was like I yes yes for sure that I was, part. He was tapping into very primal stuff there for sure. And then when you fight with your brother, I I have a very interesting. Uh, I, I love my brother to death. And what that scene with you and Sandler, I related to that. We've never tumbled, but I was like, all I'm trying to say is I'm trying to put some some fluff in your in in your fluffer nutter. Is that like I think it all matters. I don't just think show business matters, but I think everything matters. And I wanna I wanna encourage you for some reason that you're doing beautiful work. Please keep doing it, and thank you for doing this podcast. Wow, thanks, Pete. I really really enjoyed talking to you. You have really. Uh you have really interesting ideas that you're thinking about and the way you talk about them is really uh, fascinating. And I loved how 
interested you are in all these different aspects of being a person. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, honestly, it's great to talk to you. So, and you're really funny too. And, um, thanks, man. This is unexpected. <laughs> no, I'm just, I, I just love it, and I'm embarrassed that I loved. That's so nice. We should be kind. Yeah. Be kind. That's that was kind. Yes. No, but that's what you because you are you are kind and you're but you're open. You're so open to life experience, and I really yeah. I just I find uh, it's great to to kind of get outside of the box a little bit in talking to somebody about all these different things, you know, because it is everything is kind of interconnected, and right. yeah, that's refreshing. I completely so. agree, and and. People are going to love this. So it, it, it's happening right now. You're making something right now that people will love. This is silly. We have the guests say the catchphrase just to involve you. The catchphrase is keep it crispy. It's just to give the sense of closure. Uh, it doesn't okay. really mean anything. Um, should I just say it? Or do I have to say like, this is Ben Stiller saying keep it crispy. crispy? Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I didn't that say it. Just, I fucked it up. Perfect. I fucked it up. No, I said keep it crispy. Hold on. Keep, <laughs> just, this is I want to get this right. This is the no, can I give you a line? It's here? not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, please. No, 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 no don't. No, 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 I won't. Let me find it. There's no right way to when, say it. I hate when a director gives me a line. No. Uh. <laughs> oh, here, here's a weird one. Um, you can, no, that's, I was going to say do it as Greenberg writing a letter to American Airlines and then you can say keep it. <laughs> but that was really just, that was selfish to demonstrate how much mm. I love Greenberg. Um, yeah. Uh, how about uh, keep it crispy? All right. I don't know what that was. It was sort of just. <laughs> I loved it. All right. All right. We're, we're done. We're done. 